Here's a guy who's just in the nick of time. What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir. Ain't we just? So we can one go to find nice women here. Oh, you got to get out and look. They ain't gonna just fall in your lap. We have been to every bar in Queens. Well, that's where you messed up, son. You can't go to no bar to find a nice woman. You got to go to a nice place, a quiet place like a library. If a good woman is there. And um, at church, it's good girls. Or this place here, where I'm going tonight, the Black Awareness Rally, it's gonna be some fine women there. Good, good, clean girls. <laughs> Wake up! Wake up, wake up, wake up! Up you wake, up you wake, up you wake, up you wake! This is Mr. Senior Love Daddy, your voice of choice. The world's only 12-hour strong man on the air. Here on We Love Radio 108 FM. The last on your dial, but first in your hearts. And that's the truth, Ruth. Here I am. Am I here? You know it. It, you know. This is Mr. Senior Love Daddy doing the nasty to your ears, your ears to the nasty. Eyes only play the platters that matter, the matters they platter. And that's the Taruk root. From the heart of Bed-Stuy, you're listening to We Love Radio. Doing the yin and the yang, the hip and the hop, the stupid fresh thing, the flippity flop. Oh! I have today's forecast for you. Hot! The color for today is black. That's right, black, so you can absorb some of these rays and save that heat for winter. So you want to get on out there, wear that black, and be involved. Also, today's temperature is going to rise up over 100 degrees, so there's a Jerry Curl alert. That's right, Jerry Curl alert. If you have a Jerry Curl, stay in the house, or you'll end up with a permanent plastic helmet on your head forever. Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM, film and TV radio show where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and I'm trying to think of something to just off the top of my head just to throw at you. Oh, I've seen Wonder Woman. Wonder, I've seen Wonder Woman 1984. I'm David Campbell, and uh, you're going to hear my name come up quite a lot, and he's going to refer to me as Producer Dave. So I'm David Campbell, a.k.a. Producer Dave. And Who's I will Dave? now uh, start to introduce myself as Producer Dave a little bit more. And when it comes to Wonder Woman, I still haven't seen Wonder Woman, the first one, all the way through. Okay, all the way through. Okay. All, way through. all right. So I, I would like, okay, we're not going to talk much about it. In fact, we're not going to talk about it at all in this episode. However, producer Dave, David Campbell, my good friend, I would like you to watch um, Wonder Woman and watch Wonder Woman 1984 um, before, and I'll give you a time. I'll, I'll push it into the, into the future. You have until the last week of February um, to have watched both films because I want to talk about Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman 1984. 
Okay. And I want to talk. I want to do spoilerific episode as well. So okay. I want to. I want us to. I want you to watch it so we can duke it out and talk about the films and discuss it in full detail. Spoilerific and everything. Maybe not. Maybe we might do the spoilerific episode in March. Give people a little bit more time to go and watch it. But then we'll jump in and do spoilerific episodes. Okay. So, so yes, I watch it by the end of February. Watch both of them by the end of February, and then we can do a spoilerific episode in March. In March, exactly. Hopefully, hopefully at that time, um, we could have a, a sort of like missing person come back and help us with it as well. Absolutely, absolutely. We're not going to mention the person's name just in case. Obviously, the person in case mentioning the name scares the person away, so we won't <laughs> mention that person just in case. Uh, and then they'll come back in and join in. And every anyone out there who has watched Wonder Woman, uh, both Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman 1984, and would like to join in the conversation, the spoilerific conversation, we are throwing out this invite. Message us uh, on Twitter at stb underscore resonance fm or on Instagram, shoot the breeze show uh, with the hashtag WW84. I just, you know, message us, let us know that you would like to join in the conversation and we'll see, we'll get you involved as well. Remember, it's going to be sometime in, Feb, uh, in March that we'll do that episode, but let us know if you want to join in that conversation. You missed that. Uh, it's all about the three way. Uh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I, didn't want, I didn't want to tag that with the request for Wonder Woman. I wanted to keep it clean obviously if you, should, you just want to say hi you enjoy the show then you you know message us on both mediums and use the hashtag it's all about the three-way with the number three in it so that's good just send it to us uh you're listening to shoot the breeze on resonance 104.4 fm i'm marcus e Acco. i'm producer dave and we are <laughs> oh you've adapted it we've, we've, we've beaten you into submission yeah you have <laughs> now we have a jam-packed episode this week we're going to have jam-packed episodes over the next few weeks um i want to give you just a quick uh, sort of heads up as to what's coming down the road um we've teamed up jenna suru who's also the the uh, president of the Paris International Film Festival. Uh, she is launching the Paris International Film Festival uh, February the 4th to February the 14th. Tons of amazing films uh, are included in the program. Uh, we've, interviewed, we've been interviewing filmmakers from across the globe with different projects, some of them, some short films, some feature films, some documentaries, and they're just, there's some powerful ones in there. And we've been interviewing all of them, doing like 15 minute bursts to interview all these filmmakers. And we're going to put those together in longer episodes. We'll bunch it up. So we'll have maybe four, three or four filmmakers that we'll talk to in a particular episode. And we'll be releasing those episodes from next week, maybe for the next three weeks for the Paris International Film Festival. Go on to Jenna Suru's website. We're going to post it on Facebook as well and share it on all social media. So you can go check out the program of films and then you can listen to our episodes to see who we've been talking to and what those films are all about. Um, we also are going to have our top five favorites uh, this uh, today, which is going to be top five favorites, films about the black experience. Figured we might as well just jump in there and do, we've been talking about doing uh, sort of a, a top five of that nature in a very long time. We just haven't had the opportunity to do it. And now we're deciding we're going to do it. Um, and it's kind of to celebrate the uh, guest that we're going to have on today's episode, which is going to be in our film and TV news segment, which will be uh, featuring the writer, screenwriter and author of the book 
A River Called Time. He's also written a number of episodes in Steve McQueen's Small Axe series. This is Courtier Newland. We're going to be talking to him in a few minutes. And uh, who knows, depending on how long uh, our episode goes, we might have another film set of filmmakers that will jump in. If not, if we don't have enough time, if the episode gets too jam-packed, then we'll probably shift that up onto another episode. Yeah. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And for our film and TV news segment this week, I had the pleasure of speaking with author Courtier Newland, the author of the book A River Called Time, as well as a few episodes on the Small Axe series. It's film and TV news. <laughs> listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and I'm joined by uh, a writer whom I respect. I've met him in the last couple of years, uh, and I, I've, I respect his work. I had the chance to read his latest book. Please tell us your name and the latest book that you've just released. Uh, my name is Courtier Newland, and uh, my latest book is A River Called Time. Welcome, Courtier. Thank you very much. This is the second time that uh, I'm having a full-on uh, interview session with you. The first time was for my YouTube channel, The Idiot on the Writer's Block, and you've given, you gave me tons of advice that I've, I've been using on that channel. And we're doing the same thing again today. This time we'll talk about your new book, A River, a River Called Time, and later on I'll jump into your uh, the episode of the TV show, Small Axe, which you've, you've written, Lover's Rock. But we'll talk about that a little bit more. But let's start off with your latest book, A River Called Time. Tell us, wh what is A River Called Time? Uh, a River Called Time is a novel, uh, a very, very uh, lengthy novel that's set in a parallel world where uh, slavery and colonization never happened. And because slavery and colonization never happened, African cosmology has become the dominant religion uh, in most parts of the world. And when you say it's, a, it, I mean, it's an epic. I had the opportunity, you, you, you sent me an advanced copy, which was excellent. Thank you very much for that. The very first advanced copy I ever received. So I received <laughs> yeah. it, I read it, I was like, wow. And that book is thick. Yes. Um, and then I also, I also ordered it when it came out and I got the audio book as well. Uh, but I'll be asking you tons of questions about all of that stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Tell me, um, how long did it take you to write this book? It took me uh, from beginning to end, it took me about 18 years. And I had the initial idea after I had uh, written my, um, published my first novel, The Scholar. So about 1997, I had the first kernel for the idea. And then I started writing it in 2002. Between 2002 and 2004, I wrote part one, which is what is in the book now, uh, pretty much. And then I stopped and I didn't write any more until the end of last year. Now, it, it, 18 years to write a book. I mean, you're looking uh, you're looking at other uh, other writers who uh, there's the, the lady who wrote um, the Atticus Finch book, um, To Kill a Mockingbird, and, yeah, yeah. you know, it has a career span. And then talking in terms of films, you're talking like, uh, not Stanley Kubrick, but the other one who did, um, oh, uh, he does very landscape type films, um, mm. and he spends like 15 years between films and whatnot. So yeah, it, it took you, I mean, you, you've got, you, this is a, it's a very thick book. Now you talked about, you gave a little bit, and I'm not going to ask you to go through the entire story, um, because... Yeah because you've already talked about how the fact that it is looking at a, 
at an alternate universe, if you will, where colonization didn't really happen. Is there a character that we latch onto and follow throughout the story? Yeah, you follow Marcus Denny, who is uh, from a poor background. In this world, you've got a huge building in the middle of, uh, you know, inner city London, uh, which is called the Ark. And apart from that building, the rest of like inner city has been obliterated. It's called the Blin, which means scar in, 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 in this parallel. And uh, all, the, all, the, all the rich people live in the Ark. It's turned out the way it wasn't meant to be that way. All the rich people live in the Ark and all the poor people live in outer city, which is outer London, which is heavily polluted and it's crime ridden and it's just, you know, not good education. Uh, but if you are uh, an exceptional student, uh, you, you, uh, you study something called the Excellence Award, you can win a chance to go into the Ark and you can live in the Ark. Or you can be a really poor menial worker because you know you need, they need menial workers in the art to do the basic jobs, of course. So you can you can live in the art. Those are two ways that poor people can go into the art and live in the art. And uh, Marcus uh, takes this excellence award. Uh, he wins a chance to go into the art. But during that time, he discovers that he can actually travel to parallel other parallel time periods uh, through astral projection and out of body experiences. That's what he does. <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's that's a fantastic lead into the story because as soon as you jump into it, um, and I've got tons of questions about how you want to look at it, uh, what you know what you want to do with this particular book in the future. But just before I dive into those, I want to ask, what inspired you particularly to write this book? Well, the first inspiration was that I had an out-body experience, I think. Uh, I would say I think because people are like, oh, how can you be sure and stuff? I'm not sure. But I know that I, I, I was lying in bed just after I've written The Scholar, I was living, first time I moved out of my house, and I felt like I had an out-of-body experience. I felt like I'd, I'd lifted out of myself and, and I was looking down on my own body. And then, you know, I, I've described this a lot in, in other interviews, but, you know, I came down into myself and I woke up and I was in the room and everything looked exactly the same as it had in my, in my dream. And, and uh, my first thought was, wow, that was really weird. And then my second thought was, I wonder what would happen if I wrote about that? <laughs> that was like literally my, my my straight away thought and so for years after that and like i said it was 1997 uh, i played around with different ways that i could write about that experience and then in 2002 i'd managed to you know get it all together i'd thought about the arc i'd thought about inner city originally there'd been two uh separate ideas the inner city idea and astral projection idea and then i thought okay so what if you put them together and i had enough of an outline to apply for arts council funding and uh, I wrote the outline of the whole book then, uh, the book as you have it, and uh, they gave me the money and I got started and I wrote part one. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and I'm here with the writer of a new book, a new epic Af Afrofuturism novel, A River Called Time, Courtier Newland. Um, Courtier, I want to I want to jump into something to do with, with uh, a river called time, which is to do with the audio book that has come out. Because I, I recently uh, purchased the audio book as well, uh, just because I I love the, the 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 novel. It's a very thick novel, um, and I wanted to make sure that 
I didn't miss anything because there's a lot if you're not focusing you could miss um so tell us about your process of actually getting the audiobook uh, recorded uh, what did you what were your your impressions about who was supposed to be doing the voice because I believe it's Michael Abiola that does the voice and it uh, narrates um, your audiobook so what did you what was the process of actually going in and selecting the right narrator for your book well I was very lucky because, you know, this is a very hands-off experience when you're working with like a great publisher like uh, Canongate. And they presented me the option of, of, uh, of an actor to read the story. And it was Michael. And I know Michael really well. I've worked with him on a number of occasions. We worked on actually the development of The Scholar as a film, you know, like Michael was the actor that we chosen along with another actor called uh, Gary Carr at one point in time. And Gary Carr, you know, went off to be in uh, uh, The Juice, which uh, was in, you know, um, the, the, the David Simon uh, TV show. So that was really amazing to see him in that. But uh, at that time they were young actors and I was working with them. Also, uh, Michael's actually uh, read some of my stories before, you know, like in a live setting. So, so I knew that he could do it. I've heard him read my stuff. I knew he understood it. And so uh, I was really, really happy to be presented with that option. And I said, hey, I know this guy. I've worked with him like, like over many years. You know, we've gone out and had lunch together and stuff. So I was like, yeah, fine. Let's just let him do it. And uh, he did a really brilliant job. So, so yeah, it was really painless. And the audiobook, you can get it on Audible or anywhere where you can get audiobooks. Uh, and he does a great job, does a terrific job uh, representing different characters in that as well. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and I'm having a blast talking with the author of A River Called Time, Courtian Newland. Uh, now, and uh, I want to try to segue into the TV show episode of Small Axe that you wrote, which we'll come to in just a second. But I want to finish off with uh, A River Called Time. This is an epic novel that has been that you've you've taken 18 years to build. Um, would you ever consider it being adapted into either a movie or a series, miniseries, etc.? If if yes, by whom? Um. I am exploring those avenues right now, but uh, I can't say <laughs> by whom. Oh, come on! You can, you, can, you, can, you can drop a spoiler for us, right? We, uh, we shoot, the, shoot the breeze will 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 be the breaking, <laughs> you know, the one who breaks this story that says, yes, yeah, this yeah. is what's happening. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to like, I've got about, I've got a few people that I would like to talk to about it in various ways. I don't want to annoy anyone. So, uh, yeah, I'm not going to say particularly who those people are. I haven't approached anyone about it yet, but, but I would like to. So, so yeah, I, I just, yeah, I'm not sure. It depends on people's, what, what they're doing work-wise. And, it, you know, uh, it depends on whether they're even into this kind of stuff. I'm just not even sure whether the people I want to talk to would be into this. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, or, you know, there's, there's, there's particular people you know, but it's like, it's what if at the minute. So I just don't want to say and kind of like annoy them. Sure. Uh, I, I, I have no, I have no stake in this. Uh, but if, you know, at the end of the day, I'll throw out Ava DuVernay as somebody who I think would be perfect to be able to work on it because her work um, is in, it's especially to do with, I know there's the, the idea that it is realistic and you know, it focuses on the realism side of things with the urban uh, gritty nature of the book, but then it moves into a fantastical realm. And I think looking at her work, her previous work, 
um, she can juggle the two of them, uh, especially when you know Mark Reese's, uh, you know his his first foray into um, when he's finally being when it's finally being revealed as in what it is and his connection with everything else. I think um, she, she I think that would be amazing. I'm just pitching her name out there just in case. She's amazing, she's amazing, and and you're like about the fourth or fifth person who said that as well, and I, I totally agree. Ah dang! I thought I thought I was the first person. If I was the first person, that'd be <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah, no, no, you're not. Yeah, unfortunately, or fortunately, I'm not sure. But yeah, she's she's amazing, and like you said, it's it's that it's that duality of the work as well, which is really really cool. So yes, yeah. absolutely. And I, I'm sure I'm not the first person to do this as well. But I'll pitch myself for even if it's a very tiny role, just a walk on <laughs> part. Just I, I I I'm the guy who bumps into Mark Reese, uh on on the street, and you know uh, uh, I'm, you I'm happy to be that guy. I'm the first person. That's good. Excellent. So I, I'm first in line. Excellent. Okay. So now let's let's shift into uh, Lovers Rock, uh, which is uh, uh, the uh, one of the episodes in. Uh, uh, Steve McQueen's Small Axe series. Now, tell us how did that come about, and you know what inspired you to write Lovers Rock. Well, we we did six weeks in the writers' room with Steve, you know, and Steve kind of said, "I've got you know these ideas for what the films will be." And one of those films very early on was was Lovers Rock. Uh, it was he was talking about the experience of his auntie, you know, sneaking out of the house to go to blues parties. Uh, right there, then and there in the room, we listened to City Games, uh, Janet Kay, which of course I knew, but, but some of the other people in the room hadn't heard before. And we were just like, we vibed off that. And then we started talking, myself mainly and Alex Weasel started talking about, and, and Steve obviously started talking about our experiences of, of back in the day and blues parties and what we remembered, you know. Uh, myself and Steve, funny enough, have been, when, you know, pretty young at those, at those times, you know. I've been, I've been, you know, anywhere between the ages of like, you know, well, birth, you know, to about, you know. Yeah, you're, try, you're trying not to give your age away. So. <laughs> no, 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 I think, I think that, that cat's very much out of the bag. But then, like, yeah, no, I'm just thinking about, you know, just when I experienced blues parties and I experienced blues parties, like, like, I, like I was born into blues parties, I like to say. Like for me, it was just normality. But Saturday night, first it was Saturday night, my parents would disappear and I would go to my grandmother's house on Harlston High Street and they would come back in the early hours of the morning and I didn't know what was going on. And then it would be like, okay, so when I got a little bit older or they couldn't, you know, my grandmother was busy or, you know, doing something, I would be at the blues parties and there might be other kids and we'd be all in the room with all the coats and stuff. And there was that, there was the kind of like between the ages of like five, six, seven, eight, there was that time. And then there was the kind of teenage, blues parties thing when I was like 12, 13 and I could, it was a different stage of that, you know, and they were slightly waning, you know, but they was, it wasn't like it had been when I was a kid, but they were still in existence. So, so, but, but Alex had been there as a, you know, an older young man, you know, he'd been there as a, he was MC and he was part of the sound system culture stuff. He was doing it, you know, so we had like three very different perspectives on blues parties. And then um, I wrote Red, White and Blue first uh, with John Boyega. That was the script that, that I, I was I was I was given by Steve and I wrote that with Steve. We went back and forth and you know we were co-writers on that. And then uh once it was done, and I think you know, Steve was like, mm, you know, good job and stuff. He said to me, you know, do you want to do Lovers Rock? Which I was really excited about because to be honest, that's the one that I wanted to do. <laughs> that's the that's the one I was really, really into. And I had a kind of from what Steve was saying about the way that he wanted to do it, I had an idea of how we could do it together and make it into 
something that wasn't so literal and was a bit, you know, it wasn't about being linear and plot based. It was more about an art house experience of the world. You know? Yeah, because I'm I'm yet to watch Red, White, and Blue. I've just finished uh, Lovers Rock, uh, and I'm loving. I, I I love most everything that uh, I've seen Steve McQueen do. Um, and yeah, I, I it really enjoyed Lovers Rock. It rem- I didn't grow up. It, those years, those formative years for me were in Nigeria, so it was similar in that respect, but obviously in a different context, different culture. Um, and so it was. So I enjoyed exactly the same sort of uh, setup as well. Okay, yeah. so just diving back into a river called time for people who have been listening and are interested in getting the book. How can they get? Um, how can they get? A River Called Time, how can they order it? How can they follow you on social media and follow the progress of the book on social media? Well, I'm mainly on Twitter. So I'm talking a lot about the book on Twitter. Uh, you can get it from, you know, all the best uh, bookstores. You know, I mean, I would urge people to support local bookstores in these times. So I know Neon Books in in, in, in um, uh, Neon, obviously, they, they uh, have signed copies of the books and they're very quick at getting them to people. Uh, but but also you know New Beacon Books you know in North London they have them and like loads of you know Burley Fisher and you know, uh, Page of the Hackney you know they've all they've all got copies of the books so please support those bookstores and of course you know Waterstones and Amazon as well so you can get it virtually any anywhere anyway I think. Excellent. Uh, you, you listen to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. Courtier, thank you tremendously for joining me today, uh, talking about your book, A River Called Time. Uh, and, you know, I'm, 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 I'm glad to know that I'm associated with you in a sense that whenever I need to get you on one of these shows or on either this one or on Idiot on Writer's Block, you are uh, you're happy to jump on and give me advice on how I can work my stuff and how we can uh, help other people get to, to working in the film industry and in, in, in writing books, etc. And that's, I want to thank you very much for that. No, no problem. Sure. I'm happy to do it. That was, uh, that was my, that was me talking to uh, my new friend. I'm, I'm, I feel fine calling him a friend. Um, he's going to listen to this and say, uh, dude, we're not friends. But either, either way, I think we're friends. I'm calling him my friend. Courtney Newland is my friend. Uh, he's the author of the book, A River Called Time. Go and check it out. It's a really good book. A really, really dense, thick book. Um, but it's exciting. Afrofuturism all the way. Go check it out. Listen to the audio book as well. And go check out his episodes. And check out all the episodes on Small Axe, as in the Small Axe uh, series, which is on BBC iPlayer. Steve McQueen, it stars... Uh, 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 John Boyega and a whole bunch of other fine talent in the British uh, British actors fantastic actors go check it out you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM I'm Marcus E. Ako I'm David Campbell and this is Top 5 Favourites You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And we are now talking top five favorites, which uh, when, we, when we originally came up with the topic for this top five favorites, it was like, yeah, of course, we've been meaning to do this for a long time. Um, but I don't know about yourself, uh, Dave, but I was not prepared at all when I started looking at some of the lists, the, the films that popped up, and I was like, "Yo, okay, okay, this. Well, should I put this one? Should I put this one? <clears throat> and what is really the Black Experience?" And there's a whole bunch of people that listen to this and going, 
uh, dude, <laughs> you should focus and do and do what you have. So anyway, our top five favorites for this week is um, films about the black experience. So we're keeping it vague as it, well, I say vague, we're keeping it as wide as that. So if you're thinking about, you know, what the black experience is to you, and I'm not going to judge anybody on your top five favorites. So whatever your experience is of, uh, of the black experience in, in wherever you are, the UK, in Africa, in Australia, in Europe, in America, then, you know, you can use that as your top five favorites. So as we don't have a guest joining us in this, in this segment, we're going to start with producer Dave, who'll give his number five and number four, and then come to me, and we'll go back and forth until we get to our number one. So, producer Dave, what is your number five and number four uh, film about the black experience? I'm going to preface this by saying that there was a large choice, and it took me a little while to whittle them down, and even then I couldn't whittle them all the way down to five individual films. So I've got two doubles in here, no, three doubles in here, because I felt there were it was very important to have them in there. So my number five, I'm starting with Young Soul Rebels, which is about the black experience in UK, 1977. It was based in 1977, even though the film was made or was released in 1991. Um, It's about two friends who uh, are running a pirate radio station in East London and it's about their troubles and strife. One of their friends gets killed right at the beginning of the film, so I'm not giving anything away. And then it becomes a murder murder mystery. But there are other strands going through there as well. There is the racism that was going on in that period of time uh, with the police. There's a scene there with the police who just pick one of the the cast members up, takes him to prison and asking me relevant questions. And Going through that, there's also an element of sexuality that comes into play in there, how the, um, the border between black and white is crossed when two of the uh, cast have a relationship. So yeah, Young Soul Rebels, released in 1991, it was done by Isaac Julian, who'd done a documentary before then called Looking for Langston, which I've already spoken about. Um, So yeah, number five, Young Soul Rebels. Number four, again, sticking with the black English experience, there are two films. One which was released in uh, 2019, Blue Story, and the other one which was released the year before, Yardie. Now we've featured both these films on the show before, so I'm not gonna go into, into it too much, but Blue Story, uh, stars Michael Ward, which is a nice little link to the film that was being talked about by Marcus and Courtney Ewan. Courtney Newland, yes. Courtney Newland, called um, uh, Lovers Rock. Um, so he stars in both those, and you, you know, he he won the uh, BAFTA Best British Award for upcoming star for Blue Story. And Yadi, well, that was done. Uh, that was uh, directed. That was directed by. Idris Elba. Uh, Idris Elba. It was his first film uh, based on the book of the same name. Like I said, we've done through, we've gone through this already, so refer back to our previous shows for that. So my number five is Young Soul Rebels. My number four is a doubleheader, Blue Story and Yardi. 
yeah, I mean, I haven't seen Young Soul Rebels. I, I, I'm going to put it I'm putting on my list of um, films to educate myself by. Um, but Blue Story and Yardi, absolutely good picks to pick, uh, put on there. And um, just coming back to Blue Story, uh, as Resonance FM uh, is, oh. Resonance FM, we'll be talking about this in the, the upcoming weeks. Resonance FM, well, Re- Resonance 104.4 FM is doing a fundraiser in the next few weeks in order to uh, raise funds to be able to keep the station going. It's, a, it's a, an arts charity radio station that obviously does not get any, does not get uh, any money from uh, commercials and everything like that. So we raise money from charity and we're going to be having a charity auction and you mentioned Blue Story. We're going to have some DVDs up for auction that go directly to keeping the, uh, the you know, Resonance uh, FM studio open. So, yes, we'll be talking more about that later on in the next few weeks. But just know that if you want to catch, up, catch Blue Story, we have DVDs uh, on, for the auction that go towards Resonance FM uh, fundraiser. Uh, okay, so my number five. I did a double header as well. Um, and th- these two are... It's, uh, thematically linked as well. The Hate You Give and Queen and Slim. So The Hate You Give is a George Tillman Jr. Uh, movie uh, starring uh, Amandla Stenberg. You, know, you probably know her as Rue from The Hunger Games. Uh, Regina Hall, uh, Russell Hornsby. Uh, and, it's, uh, and Queen and Slim f- uh, features one of my favorite British actors of all time, uh, Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, it, it also stars Jodie Turner-Smith, uh, Bukim uh, Woodbine. Uh, now, both stories pretty much have the same type of inciting incident, and it's something that uh, sparked the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, the Black, My- Black Lives Matter protests over the last few years, uh, which is basically a police officer pulls over a car that has a man and a woman in it, a black man and a black woman in it. Um, both incidents happen in the same film, both inciting incidents are basically what kick off the plot in both films, except both films, the way they diverge is the action happens differently. The concept or the result of that traffic stop happens differently. Um, in, uh, in the hate you give, and I'm not spoiling anything. This is all in the trailers in the hate you give. What happens is the young man is killed by the police officer while in queen and slim, uh, the police officer almost kills the young man. However, the young man turns the tables and kills the police officer, and then they go on the run. So those two films basically explore what is what a lot of people, uh, and by when I say a lot of people, a lot of people that are not ethnic minorities have often seen as or have often excused and have often said, um, you know, no, you're exaggerating it. No, there must be a reason why that is that stop happened. No, maybe it was a bad area. Maybe the person was driving. So there were always excuses for why the traffic stops occurred until the last few years and uh, until um, phone cameras came out where basically people could actually see that actually a lot of these stops were completely unwarranted and it was simply because of who was driving the car. That's why the car was stopped. Um, it even happened in the UK um, fairly recently where, uh, if I may mistake this story, but it was an MP that got pulled over in the middle of London. So it's not just in America that this happens. This always happens. It seems to happen in countries where uh, black people are or people of color are obviously the minority population. So those two films in particular 
they they dive into that common tr- um, common event, common phenomenon that happens across the world in in in, the, in these kind of cities, and it just both films are just so moving in two different ways. You see a revolution effectively uh, erupt from that one incident that happens in both films. So those two films are The Hate You Give and Queen and Slim. My number four, and I'm going to steal this one from you, David, because you introduced me. The, uh, by introducing me to the film, uh, you, it was you talking about it. I'd heard about it, but I didn't check it out. And then hearing you talk about it made me go and watch it. It's uh, I Am Not Your Negro, which is narrated by Samuel L. Jackson. It's based on the writings of James Baldwin. Uh, and you, you basically follow through um, a lot of through history of James Baldwin's interaction with racism and his, uh, his very educated um, arguments against very, uh, you know, famous racist people who, you know, the racist culture in America, where uh, he, he tackles it in, on an intellectual basis. You can see various clips of interviews, TV interviews that he's done, where he's effectively debating a panel of people, where they're all, you know, trying to put across this point that, uh, you know, the black black people, the black man in America should be uh, should be um, grateful for the fact that they have what they have, and you know the grumblings that they have are all uh, you know exaggerated, etc. And he puts across what that frustration is of the black person in America, and he shows how the comparison is between him going over to France and what that is, and you get to see it through his eyes, you get to hear his words, and it's difficult not to be moved when you're hearing him speak about it. So that's my number four. I am not your Negro. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm David Campbell. And David Campbell is going to talk about his number three and two uh, films about the black experience. David, what's your three and two? Uh, my number three is The Color Purple. Now, it's an, another film that I've mentioned many a time. It stars Whoopi Goldberg in a breakout film. It's excellently done it's a really seriously good drama tells a story about a woman who was abused by her father who was then given away to be married to um, a man referred to as mister that's the only name you have for him mister who tries to abuse his sister when she comes to stay with them and throws him out throws her out when she refuses to play ball and it's about Celie's life in that microcosm of the black society in early 20th century America and how you don't see that meant um, too much interaction with white people it's all it's virtually an all-black film there are some very very uplifting moments in there but some of it will shock you but um, it's it doesn't go too overboard but it's a wonderful film to watch so that's my number three the color purple again i've gone about it many a time so i'm not going to go into too much details my number two is a double header the first of the double header is i am not your negro and i'm not going to say too much about that because um, marx is just wax lyrical about it and the other part of the double header is tongues untied which is a documentary done by marlon riggs from 1989 shortly before he died he, sh- he died a few years later and it's a documentary which, if you watch it all the way through, it's an experimental film. And it features Marlon Riggs, Exits Hemphill, and Brian Freeman. It mixes poetry and 
personal accounts try and depict the specificity of uh, the, the black gay identity. One of the things that comes across in here and ties it in with Young Soul Rebels is the way that black gay men were excluded from certain clubs and what have you in both Britain and America because most of them were aimed at white, the, the white participant. So sometimes you would be refused entry just because you're black or you would be carded in America and told, given a different reason for not being able to get in. In the UK, for instance, you might be able to get in, but trying to get served at the bar would be proved now and impossible because the uh, barman, mostly white, would bypass you, ignore you and what have you. So um, it tells the story from the black gay man's perspective. Very, very well worth doing. It caused a lot of controversy at the time when it was released. Um, Tongues Untied, that's my number two. So my number two is um, Tongues Untied and I Am Not Your Negro. And my number three, The Colour Purple. The Colour Purple. Thank you very much, David. Uh, okay, so my number three, a double header. And these two films kind of, uh, now they, they now sort of feature into my own personal experience uh, with society. Um, as the member of, a, or sorry, as the product of a mixed race family, uh, basically my experience with society is slightly different from what a lot of other peoples who aren't from a mixed race family might actually be. Uh, and the two films that I'm, I'm talking about are a Jungle Fever by Spike Lee and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner by... Uh, oh, I can't remember the who. who I'll, 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 it'll come to me in a second. Um, anyway, so let's start about Jungle Fever. Jungle Fever, the Spike Lee film from the 80s. It's basically, uh, it, it's about this, it's about um, Wesley Snipes, a, a black architect who falls in love with his white uh, temp, uh, Annabelle Sciorra, I think, I believe. Um, and you see the relationship actually build. And it's, it, obviously they have an affair and his wife kicks him out and they decide to go public with their relationship and you see society basically reject the both of them so uh, yeah there are elements of in that relationship of the of you know extramarital affair etc and that is a stigma in itself however it's almost it's it's almost approached as if if it were if if Wesley Snipes' character had had an affair with a with a black woman, that would have been far more acceptable, as well as uh, the, the woman he had the affair with, Annabella. If she had had an affair with a white man, that would have been far more acceptable. The fact that of the matter, what compounded the uh, insult and the injury of that relationship was the interracial uh, integration of the two of them. So a black man and a white woman walking hand in hand in public, you get to see anger from both his side and from her side uh, in that situation. Then we have the Stanley Kramer, that's it. The Stanley Kramer, guess who's coming to dinner uh, with Sidney Poitier, uh, um, Karen Hepburn, um, uh, Spencer Tracy. Uh, and it's it, essentially, it's about a woman bringing her new boyfriend, uh, her boyfriend to the family for dinner. The family don't really know who the boyfriend is. He shows up and it's a white family, a white, um, well, well, you know, um, I think upper middle class family. And this white woman shows up with Sidney Poitier. And essentially it's the, the drama that ensues, the tension that builds between what is clearly a racist father uh, against this very intelligent man who's basically um, counteracting every single negative stereotype that he has 
of black people and you get to see that interaction. So those two in particular really, really spoke to me um, with regards to the added pressures that uh, people who, who basically who love each other across racial lines and they want to, they, they want to start families across those racial lines without caring about what the, what the repercussions would be and the pressures that they experience to stick to their own kind which that really spoke to me from both, both movies. So that's Jungle Fever and uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner as my number three. My number two, I went comedy with this one, Coming to America. And the reason why I use this one in particular is because I, am, uh, I, I emigrated from Nigeria to the, to the UK when I was a 14-year-old. And I watched Coming to America when I was, when I was back in Nigeria. And I, understood, and I, and I enjoyed it a lot while I watched it there. When I came over and I experienced the same kind of abuse that he, or, or again, the stereotyping that he received. So coming to America if, is essentially is a prince, an African prince, um, well-educated, well-educated for African prince, comes to America in search for a wife. And he goes and lives in the, uh, in the slums in New York. And you get to see a lot of the interaction where a lot of people, the expectation and, and the, the, the uh, anticipation, well, not anticipation, the, the um, what is it? Yeah, it's sort of the stereotyping of this, the fact that they're expecting him not to be able to speak English properly, even though he speaks clearly. Uh, the fact that they were expecting, oh, you must ride zebras and whatnot back in Africa. No, we have cars and we have, we have you know, indoor plumbing and, and heating and everything else. So is that sort of that uh, idea that people in Western society in America and in the UK sort of have of people growing up in Africa that, oh, if you grow up in Africa, you live in mud huts and you live in the villages. Yes, there are mud huts. There are villages. There are also tower blocks. There are also mansions. There is air conditioning. There are satellite dishes. They're educated. A lot of people I know from Africa are far more educated than a lot of people I know from the UK. So it's, it's sort of that culture clash as well is why I put um, coming to America as my number two film about the black experience. Just the, the expectation that just because you're black, because you're from Africa, means that you are somehow uh, ill-educated, you uh, somehow uh, are um, backwards, you grew up in a third world country. Uh, yes, there are people that are like that, but there are far more people on the other side. Uh, so that's my number two, Coming to America. You listen to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko. I'm producer Dave. And we are saying our number one films, favorite films about the black experience. David, what's your number one? Again, another double header. And I couldn't separate these two because um, basically they're both very powerful films. Um, first one um, on the double header is Spike Lee's Do The Right Thing. I've said this many a time. I, I think for me, it's one of his best films. It's about, a, it's about Mookie who works in a pizzeria owned by Sal, who has two sons. One of them is an avowed racist, the other one is not. It features one day, or the effects of one day and a night and another day. And essentially what happens, you see in that time, the argument between Mookie and Sal about racism, the argument with his son about racism, the, the way the police treat and cause a riot by their treatment of a black man on the streets and the way that people try to live together 
in the aftermath of those riots. You don't see too much of that. You see the way they try to pick the pieces up afterwards. But it's a very, very powerful film. There's a lot going on. It's got a brilliant soundtrack from the um, 80s. And it's very, very worth seeing. It's an uncomfortable watch, but it's very worth seeing. As is my second on the double header, which is Sadaji de Juice, uh, or City of God. It's based in the favelas of Brazil in uh, Rio and feature, well, it basically talks about drugs, gangs, and who you belong to when you live in a favela. Now, Again, I can't say that I have experienced that. I don't, I've never lived in Brazil. I have been to Brazil and I've been through some of the favelas there. And the way they're stacked on top of each other, um, if you know anything about Brazil and favelas, favela is actually a, tr a tree. They took the name after building next to tree, so a favela tree. And they built the favelas to house the poor who then serviced the rich who lived in the uh, houses below. Now, one of the things about um, the favelas in uh, Rio especially is that if you live in one of those favelas and you look out, you have the beautiful vista of Rio de Janeiro. And it's now something that the, the, the rich want. So they are by turns making things worse and worse and worse for the people in the favelas because they really want to clear them so they can have that that land for themselves and it's not happening at the moment so there's a big war but it is a brilliant film all you have to do is just take out your need for listening to everything in english and make sure you can speed read but i'm, I'm telling you um it is very very worthwhile watching some of it is um obviously fictionalized, but it's based on true events. So that's my number one. I'm not gonna go into too much detail about it because uh, I get tongue tied at, at that point. So it's do the right thing and city of God. Two very, very strong picks. I recently watched Do the Right Thing for the first time. I'd known about it for years. Obviously, everybody knows you know about Do the Right Thing if you enter films, uh, but I only recently watched it and very, it got punch of a film. Um, I still have questions. I want to. I would. I would definitely like to sit down with somebody and uh, and and talk through. Um, just because there, it's sort of. I know there's the whole idea of the whole argument of you know black and white. As in by black and white, I mean sort of like this is this is right. This is wrong. Um, or this is how things need to be. This is how things need to be, and so on. And so uh, the argument, uh, the the argument, the debate always gets taken over by people who shout the loudest. I don't want to have a, an argument or a debate with somebody who's shouting about that film. I want to have a nuanced discussion with somebody who understands the gray and go into that. So that's why I want to talk about well, do the right thing at some point. Well, one of the things about do the right thing is um, there is a moment in time there. Uh, and I'm uh, kind of a bit of a spoiler alert, but you've got to remember that there is a moment in time there where Mookie, who's played by the director Spike Lee, he is debating as to whether or not he's going to, well, he doesn't realize he's going to start the right, but he's debating what action to take. And you see mm -hmm. him wrestling with it. You know, it's either walk on by and let it go or do something. And you see, do see him wrestling with it. So there is that right and wrong element. He does his actions where well, you can see it if you watch the film, but you know, there is that, that 
element to it as well. It's not all violent, violent, violence. Which oh, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, yeah. There's actually very little violence in Do the Right Thing. It's it's all it's all simmering tension that's building, it's especially with the heat tensions, yeah. as well. So that's it's a very good film. City of God. I'm not going to say much about it, or except the fact that it's in my top ten films of all time. Um, I love City of God. Uh, the for everything from the storytelling to the uh, cinematography and the editing, and it's just done beautifully, brilliantly. If you haven't seen it, what is just go and check it out. Get it, City of God. Check it out. It's in my number ten. It's not in my number five though. It's not in my top five. <laughs> However, uh, what's the what's number one? I didn't do a double header because I like to keep my double headers with things that are thematically tied, and I couldn't find anything. I'm sure there are, so don't start emailing me and texting me but um i couldn't find anything thematically tied to this film which i put as my number one it is in is another one of the films in my top 10 favorite films of all time and it is jordan peele's get out uh, it, again daniel kalia appears a second time on my list uh daniel kalia alison williams katherine kinnear bradley whitford uh, and the film is about uh, again an interracial couple so a black man and a white woman uh, going back to the black woman, the white woman's uh, family home uh, in the Hamptons, I believe, uh, and it's basically another kind of similar to um, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner right? in that respect, where a black man has been taken home. However, the contrast to that to um, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner is the parents, the white parents, welcome uh, Chris, the black character, in with you know, with a warm embrace. And it's sort of, it's very, um, uh, it, it very, we're very welcoming. They're very uh, appreciative of the fact that their daughter is broad-minded to uh, date a black person and so on and so forth. But you can always sense that there's something in the background. There's something off about this. And it just descends into, uh, into obviously, it descends into, I'm not going to say chaos, into horror, psychological horror territory. Um, and one of the reasons why I really, really enjoy this particular film, um, obviously because of all the extra bits on top of it. But again, I've mentioned another, that at the very start of my top five favorites, uh, I talked about The Hate You Give and um, and uh, Queen and Slim. There, There's the element of a, pol- of a police officer pulling over you know, a black person who's driving. Uh, this, in this situation, however, the, the the two people are a black and a white person. So the situations end differently from the first two movies that I mentioned. However, again, tied into the film itself, because the film is so layered, tied into the film itself are different levels as to different aspects of different actions and decisions that take place and different expectations that take place. And I'm just going to say this, I'm going to put it this way because I don't want to spoil the film. Essentially, there are two times in the film where the two main characters um, see flash, you know, the police flashing lights at them. That's all I'm going to say, because there's a first time where you, ex- you understand it. There's a second time where you understand it and it's horrifying, but then something else happens and it's just a roller coaster of emotions. Uh, and, and another reason why I really like this and I know how divisive it can be, whenever I've spoken to people who are not people of color, who have watched it, their reaction is, eh, eh, you know, it's always like, well, I don't really see why you would say it's an okay film. And, and when, I spoke, when I've spoken to black people who watched it, 
they watch it and they say to me, no, we fully 100% get it. We get every single step of the way. We get it. So that's another reason why it's like, there's that. I was going to put Black Panther on the list as well, but I figured, no, I'm going to put Black Panther on a separate list. I'll keep that separate. It's same side of argument where I've had, again, with people who are not people of color, people who are white often, who have said, Black Panther isn't that great a movie. And it's like, you're not understanding the point. You don't understand why black people gravitate to that movie you, if 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 you don't see it then it's one of those things where someone says oh why is that funny if you have to explain the joke you're never going to get it right so when you hear the joke and you laugh the joke you laugh the joke and it, you get it you will laugh you'll find it funny if you see something that is horrific or if you get why those themes in get out are horrific or are scary if you get it instinctively then you will get the movie and you will understand it. If it doesn't occur to you immediately, then you're not going to get it. You're not going to enjoy the movie. You'll see it just as a, yeah, it's one of those kind of movies. So that's why Get Out is my number one. I want to, yeah. I will champion it until, until I can champion it no more. I'll keep championing. I think Jordan Peele did an amazing job with that film. I think Daniel Coolio's performance is just utterly fantastic in that film. Uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah, well, with that um, scene that you're talking about where the, the police officer stops and I'm talking about the first time. Um, yeah. I thought that was an extremely good example of white privilege, to be quite honest. Because when you think about it, um, in America, if a black man is stopped, they know what the, 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 the runs is. They know they're gonna be pulled out of the car. They know they're gonna be patted down. They know they're mm -hmm. gonna have to show all their stuff. And she just turns around and says, why? And, yeah. he, and, and the police officer looks at, him, looks at her, as if to say, um, well, this is what I have to do. This is what I'm supposed to do, you know. And just watch the film. You, you, and <laughs> that one, you just that you one scene, and it just tells you so much. It's like my friends going to a nightclub with me and complaining to me afterwards that they were ignored by um, the bar staff who are, who are mostly black. Yeah. It's like, what are you complaining for? This is something yeah. I have to go through all the time. See, why funny, you, funny you mentioned that scene again, and this is the reason why we need to do a separate episode. We need to do a spoiler episode for Get Out because I want to. I'd love talking about Get Out. That scene in particular that you mentioned, you're absolutely right. On the surface level, that is, you're absolutely right with regards to the expectations, the regards to the privilege. You know, the fact that she can, she feels privileged enough to be able to question the police officer and not just the fact that her privilege gets her to do it. But this is a situation where she's able to exert that privilege and that privilege works, which is the reason why that privilege exists. The police officer actually backs down because of the fact that a white woman is questioning what, if you really think about it, is, is you know, inherently a racist act that he's doing. Yeah, whereas he's Chris... Yes. Whereas Chris understands that it's like, no, look, this is just, it's fine. Just keep it as it is. I'll show, I'll comply. You know, the whole, you know, what, when a lot of people get shot, you know, when a lot of black people get shot by the police, the, the first question is, well, why was he resisting? Why didn't he just do exactly what the police officer said? Well, again, we know that that's not always the case. Even when they do everything, you know, it still ends up badly. But another reason why Get Out is so amazing and this is where the layers come in. There are different reasons as to why she's questioning the police at that point. So if you rewatch it, 
you see why she's questioned the police. And I really, this is an amazing, it's the reason why John Peel won the, the Oscar that year for, um, for best screen, uh, best screenplay. Uh, it is because it is so layered. It's layered very well. Uh, you've been listening to shoot the breeze on resonance 104.4 FM. Thank you very much for sticking with us and welcoming, welcoming us back into 2021. We hope you're keeping safe. Uh, and we have, like we said, tons of more of, of, packed shows coming up in the next few weeks but we'll talk more about them next week uh i have been marcus e Ako. i'm still david campbell saying thank you very much for listening and see you all next week or listen to you next week or you can hear us next week yeah can we listen to them next week I would, i'd like to listen oh, to we'd, them. Love, we'd love you to sort of like send us voice messages if you can so yeah yeah, yeah. why not yes if you if you, if you stay to this point of the show Send us some voicemails. Uh, send it to us on Shoot the Breeze uh, at uh, so Shoot the Breeze Show on Instagram, or send it to us on Twitter at STB underscore Resonance FM. See you next week. See you next week. Bye. <laughs> we still struggle to end the show. Yeah, we do. <laughs>